this morning, uh, we have the incredible privilege of getting to hear from Pastor Dan Stewart. And he has been, I mean, he is beloved. In this room, he is beloved. And I know that he has touched each of your lives um, in a deeply meaningful way. For me, he was uh, a professor in my life and has been a pastor in my life. And I got to share this this morning, but when I was thinking about Dan coming, something that I so value about Dan is that as Christians, we talk a lot about what we do. Like, what am I going to do? And what does God want me to do? And these are the plans that we're making. And these are the things I need to grow in, or these are the things I need to fix. And something I've always really appreciated about Dan is that Dan just makes much of Jesus. Um, And there's something very uh, centering and grounding and healing and helpful about that. So will you guys just join me in welcoming Pastor Dan Stewart as he teaches us this morning. I always feel like it's homecoming week. (laughs) Let's bring back the people from the past. So... (laughs) If you, if you didn't know, I've been associated with this church for over 25 years. So um, once as a um, teaching pastor, then as an interim pastor, then as the senior pastor, then as an interim pastor, <laughs> and um, every once in a while as a guest speaker. So if you're new, if you don't know me, good. <laughs> good. If you do know me, good. Glad you're still here. And, um, you know, this church has been a giving church um, for 25 years, and part of the investment is a heart for missions. Any church that has a heart for missions that gives away outside of itself is a church that God will bless. And I just want you to know that uh, uh, it's been about, I, I, I say this now because Connie laughs when I say it, but we've been, I've been going to East Africa for 42 years. 43 will be the 18th, or the 2018th. That will be my last team trip to East Africa. (laughs) So I'm saying it publicly. But it's time for somebody else to take over the burden and the calling. And um, about eight years ago, we've we've planted, by the way, and you're part of that process, we have planted and started over 60 churches in Tanzania and in in Kenya. So, yeah, I mean, that's worthy of thanks. We've trained those pastors, placed them in churches, and about eight years ago, um, one of the pastors asked if we could help them after 10 years of raising money, 10 years, if we could help them buy their property that they would like to buy and build on. And and we were, I had never done that, so somebody asked, I said, sure, we'll help you. It was about $2,500. And they had raised like $400 or something over a period of time. Um, and so we, we, we actually helped them buy it. And I came here and spoke at the old facility and just mentioned it. Hey, we bought property, $2,500, and helped this church. And somebody in the church came up afterwards and said, hey, I want to buy some property. So I go, well, let me see what we can do. And so we bought the second property. And I've never asked for money, didn't solicit it. People came up and said, well, I want to buy property. So we actually purchased seven properties. We also have bought a school property so that they could build a a village school. Uh, We've also put in three water wells in uh, Malawi. So, I mean, God's been great. Well, 
Yeah, you know, keep clapping. It's, it's a good thing. <laughs> Thank God. Well, I came here and said, you know, we were going to, then a donor said, well, why don't you build a church? I don't know, build a church. I don't know what it, in Kenya, I don't know how to do that. Well, we built one. Then we built two. Then we built three. And I thought, I'm done. Don't have any more money. Then somebody gave some more, so we built four. Um, there's five. I mean, look at this building. I'm, 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 I'm so thrilled. These are block buildings with metal windows and metal doors and bathrooms. 30 grand. That's, and these, these will outlast us, folks. I mean, they're, we're going to be gone if Jesus tarries and those buildings will still be preaching the gospel. They're used for civic centers. They're used for their villages because some of the villages, it's the nicest building in the village. So, because um, these are out in, you know, uh, faraway places. And um, I, I'm, I'm just grateful to be a part of what God's doing. So that's, that's number five. And I thought, well, I'm not going to, you know, number six, I don't have the funds for it. A business guy came up about six months ago and said, I, I'll build six. So um, I, we have the money now to build the sixth one. And then a lady came up and she said, well, I'll give 10000 to seven. So um, we need to raise about 20000 to finish seven. And my, my goal is in May to visit the seven churches. Now, does that sound familiar <laughs> to anyone? Okay, I'm going to visit the seven churches I'm going to bid them farewell. I'm going to give them grace. I'm going to take a picture out in front of it. And um, each of those churches have been given a four-square flag and um, that they can put, they are a national recognized church in the world. So, I mean, it, it makes them part of a larger entity, um, which is awesome. So uh, I just wanted you to say, I just wanted to say thanks for your continual support of missions uh, things that go on that you don't even know are, are going on. And also, we have our booth from Life Pacific College. We have two students here. Woo! Shout out for Life Pacific. And um, if you have uh, your pastors graduated from Life Pacific, I was their professor. Um, it, and it's also interesting that Pastor John, has he had his dad speak here? <sighs> He's the single best teacher I have ever sat under. John Amstead Sr. is a genius. And um, anyway, he's the one that I took my first class in college with John Amstead Sr. And I went up to John and said, I want to do what you do. And he was a pastor and was a professor. And 15 years later, my office was next to John Amstutz's office, and I was pastoring and teaching on the same staff with John Sr. And um, then had the privilege of having a son in class. So uh, you've got rich heritage here, great people, um, grateful to be uh, listed as part of that. And um, I've been taught, been, the Lord's been dealing with me about what do you do when you don't have enough talent, when life goes beyond your talent. So take out your notes, they're under the seat or by you or somewhere, and um, I want to talk to you about beyond talent. And a sub-point is, is when your abilities are not enough. When your ability... Come on, everybody been someplace where your abilities were not enough. And I, if you think I could have raised $300,000 to build churches, <laughs> I, that's beyond my ability. 
Um, and so that's something only God could do. But all of it, come on, we've all watched games, and we love it when the, the last second somebody shoots a basket that wins the game. Or somebody kicks a field goal that wins the game. Or somebody hits a ball out of the park that wins the game. It's always those last seconds. I took my son, and I I don't remember when it was, but Aaron and I went to a UCLA-USC Rose Bowl game on um, New Year's Day. I don't know how many years ago, but we went. And it was quite a game. I'm parked out in the boonies at some place, and I told Aaron, we're going to leave early. Okay. So we left like two minutes before the game was over. We were walking back to the car, and all of a sudden, you could, the stadium erupted. Some, and I do not even remember if it was UCLA or USC, but the last second made like two touchdowns in that two-minute period of time, caught a fumble, went back, and won the game. We were on the way to the car. (laughs) But we like to watch. Don't we like to watch reruns of stuff? You already know the outcome, but you love it because you know the outcome. You know? How many I Love Lucy reruns have you watched? (laughs) And why do we keep watching? Because we know the outcome. And so there's something about the impossible catch, the unlikely choice, the come from behind. We love it because we know that at that last second something happened. And we always ask ourselves, because I ask myself, can I make it? Will it work? Do I have enough time? I love when... King Jehoshaphat said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And, um, you know, I I tell you that this year for us, people have asked, how are we? I had somebody come three days ago and said, how many grandkids do you have? And it just, I started crying. It just stopped me. Um, I was here last year and was talking about our grandson, Joel. Um, 15 years old, had a fever. I went to the doctor, and he had what they call um, AML, leukemia. And such a good kid. Accepted Christ when he was eight. Um, Amazing. He fought it for a year and a half and never got a break. I'll tell you, if God answers by prayer, we prayed till there was no more prayer left in us. Till we had no breath. And yet, um, God took him home. And then what happened in that process is the youth pastor who was going to speak was going to Malawi. So I'm over at my son and daughter-in-law's house, and he goes, can you speak? And I go, it would be the hardest thing I could ever do. But I'll do it because it's the right thing to do. And I just want to tell you that A lot of you follow your Facebook stalkers, so you follow what's going on. Um, But um, this is the first time I have spoken publicly since his death. Uh, We just needed some time. And um, I want you to know that this message is born out of the fact that he ran out of time. And how little we control time that we think we have 
in our hands and it fleets. It just, it goes from us and, and our abilities are lacking. Um, we know in our own hearts where Joel is. We know he's in heaven. He knew the Lord as we do. But it doesn't mean right now that it's not easy, that you wonder, could things be different? And um, that's why we have to, and my, all my wife does is cry, so she's, as she does right now. Oh, by the way, Connie's here, so. <laughs> Hi, Connie. But, um, yeah, he, he had passed away. We were there, I mean, I've, I've been there most of the time for the first breath our grandkids have made, and we were there for his last. And I'm riding home the next day, and the Christian radio was on, and first song came on, and, and it was Chris Tomlin, Home. We're going home. And I go, I don't want to listen to this song. So I left it on, and the next one came on. It was in the eye of the storm. And it goes, when your enemy takes your child away. <sighs> I was finished then. I go, okay, I'm not listening anymore to... I just about turned it off, and so help me, the guy came on and goes, we're going to hear from Joel next. Then I did turn it off, and I go, God, thank you. But it, I'm telling you guys that um, emotionally, you know, it, it, there's brokenness, but God can use us even in the midst of that to give us when everything moves underneath you, there's a solid rock. And when, when the world kind of just move, you know, it's just shaking. Because, you know, my son, Aaron, he works in uh, the funeral business. He helps people bury their loved ones. And he's a pastor. That's what he, he said, I've done more ministry now than I've ever done in my life. Well, when you sit across with somebody and your 16-year-old your has passed away, you have a lot of empathy He's working at the burial place where his son is buried. And Connie had gone up to him. We said, isn't it difficult for you? And he goes, no, Dad. He's not there. Because we get it here because we got it from here. But what you live through is sometimes a, it's not easy. But um, how God uses our inabilities, all right? And um, that kind of gives you a little bit of where we've been the last uh, couple months. But um, God uses. Aren't you glad that God uses what you offer him? You know, Remember that they stole that kid's lunch and, and the disciples said, what do you got? And he said, well, this kid had some loaves and fishes and we took it from him. <laughs> and, um, and Jesus said, it's enough. What you offer God is always enough. Thank God for that. And um, God uses what we offer him. So let's look at a couple of things here. That, first of all, they are planned in God's commands. They're planned in God's command. In our lives, in my life, in your life, God's will is paramount to us. All right? God's will is paramount um, to us. Um, listen that when God speaks to you at the time that is beyond your ability, listen to him. When it's beyond your time and your control, listen to him because he's going to speak something that is going to be completely beyond your ability and your talent. 
However good you are, whatever you do at it, it's going to be beyond that. And it, it's the people in the scriptures that we look at that when God called them to go beyond what they are. Remember, Joshua was trying to conquer a city with an untrained army that he just circumcised the whole entire pile of them. So he has no army, he's got nothing, and he goes and looks at a place called Jericho, and here's what God says. This is beyond your talent. It's beyond your abilities. And so Joshua's there, and here's what God tells him. Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. And you know, there's sometimes that God's gonna tell us something so bizarre in the middle of the hardest times. Simply turn the radio on. I want to speak to you. Come on. Take your shoes off. How about a kid who was going to face a nine-foot giant? He's 13, 14 max. And God said, just take five stones. That's all you need, bud. Come on. That's beyond his ability. In fact, the scripture said that Goliath is... um, you know, this ginormous uh, Canaanite has been fighting since he was a youth. Just take five stones. When God begins to speak to your inability, obedience becomes the catalyst to God's abilities. Our obedience becomes the catalyst for God's abilities. They are secured, secondly, in God's care, in his care. When Israel cried out, God listened. When Mary and Martha wept because Lazarus was dead, Jesus wept too. It's simply because God cares about us. Don't anyone ever, if nothing else today, God cares about you immensely. And when you walk through some of the darkest times, he's there. And, you know, come on. I've had so many gripe fests lately with God, just griping, you know. The, I, the thanks a lot, God, for your intervention, that you didn't see any intervention. Come on, anybody with me? Yeah. He's big enough to handle my gripes, and he lets you for a time, for a season. He'll let you. But um, since we prayed and fasted and for our grandson for a year and a half, and... It didn't go the way we wanted. Did God bring about healing? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Ultimately, anyone who knows Christ is walking in a better place than we are right now. I get it. I get it. But I wanted him here. I want him now. And so does his mama. But um, I was not happy with God's results, if you will. So um, this has nothing to do with the message, but everything to do with life. And since this is um, Antioch, I can feel to tell any story I want to tell. Because <laughs> I have earned the right, ladies and gentlemen, to do that. <laughs> yeah. God had not answered too many of the prayers the way I wanted him to. I'm not saying that God didn't answer prayer. He just didn't answer the way I wanted him to answer. Well, anyway, about three weeks ago, we were on vacation with some family friends, and somebody had given us $122 in cash for our boat. We have two boats, and we, we all collect money to put gas in the boats and stuff on vacation. So we were there. And I'm pretty cheap. I'm known to be frugal. 
So I had this cash. I went to the cashier, gave it to the lady, and she goes, machine doesn't work. She gave me back the cash. I'm like, I don't carry cash. And there's a reason I don't carry cash. So <laughs> be supportive. So... Um, <laughs> Connie is my ATM, so when I need money, I just, can you give me some money? And so anyway, because uh, she knows if she gives me money, I give it away, I give it to, well, they were hungry, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I got in the boat, we had to pull the boat out of the water, we had to go down to the gas station. I had my wallet, had my phone, had $120 in cash and I laid it on the seat in the boat. My son-in-law said something to me. I got out and looked at the prop, and it was okay, and I left it there. And we drove <laughs> five miles. Yeah, it was windy. <laughs> got to the gas station. Yeah, I had a phone. Yeah, I had a wallet. But I didn't have $122. All Just gone, gone. Poof. Okay, the first thing, the first thing out of my mouth, thanks a lot to my son-in-law, because I blamed him for telling me to get out of the boat. And then thanks a lot to God for losing my money. Okay, so I had, I was so mad. And I, thanks, you, you, you can't even answer 122 bucks. That, you can't do that. So we went up and down and up and down that stupid road for an hour and a half with our heads hanging out the window. <laughs> and we finally got back, and I knew I had to answer to her. <laughs> because she told me for that, don't you lose that. You always lose money. You're going to lose it. <laughs> okay? So I got back, and, and I, my, I, my son-in-law said, don't tell her. Just don't say anything. <laughs> doesn't work. So I got out of the boat, and, I, and I'm putting the boat, you know, and I said, it all blew out of the boat. I don't want to hear another word about it. And she said I was even meaner than that because I wanted to strike first. Because, you know, when you feel bad about yourself, you don't need somebody else helping you feel bad. I feel bad enough, you know, because I'm griping at God the entire for an hour and a half later, I'm still... All right. So we went for a bike ride that night, and I'd let the money go. It was just gone. It was just the way it was. And I said, well, I hope whoever got it needed it. <laughs> you know, you always think it probably blew out in a pile and somebody found the road. Jehovah Jireh, you know. Anyway, riding our bikes, Connie and Danielle, my daughter, said, well, we're going to go outside and look again. I said... Knock yourself out. So we decided we would ride back to the dock where I'd come out with the boat. So we're riding, and he's on one side, I'm on the other, and there was a little path, and I just went down the other path, just walking, and all of a sudden, there's this light white sticker stuff, and from the road, you can't see it. But I was on this little path, and there was a $20 bill. So I go, I have found 20 bucks. <laughs> so I was happy with that. If I could go back with the 20 bucks, I could pitch my story to Connie, I found the $20. God at least gave us 5% back. <laughs> to, well, that'd be... No, it's more than that. So anyway, I got off my bike and we started digging through the stickers and we found it all. 
all of it. Now, A, we could have not gone for a bike ride. B, I could have ridden on the other side of the road. You never would have seen it. C, somebody could have found it all and they thought, look what, it's growing out of the ground. <laughs> but what it did for me is I did go back to Connie. We rode back where they were and I said, stop looking, it's a waste of time. And she goes, I know. And I said, yeah, because I found it all. <laughs> and I held it up. She, she didn't believe me. Every dollar. You know what? I found out that, you know, the Lord says, you know, I always hear you. I always hear you. But there are some times that God does stuff out of time, out of our understanding of time. And he said, I control it all. But sometimes things are beyond your ability. They just are. And, um, but it doesn't mean he doesn't care. And if God can care for 122 bucks... He can care about our lives. He can care about, you know, something that I, I, you don't know how desperately I needed that. I needed God to intervene, and he did. And that's why sometimes you think an indecision to get up and ride a bicycle is your choice. And you find out later it's God who's, let me guide you. Let me take you exactly where you need to go. I wish he would have done that four hours earlier, but... <laughs> You ever just driven for two hours looking out a window? And you go, I think I saw something. It's trash. It's trash. They're involved with God's commitment. See, God gives us a promise, folks. He will never forget us. He'll never just leave us. And that's why he's committed to our good. And how he's committed to our good is through faith. Faith is the substance of true talent. If you want to have talent, have faith. Let's go to the New Testament book of Hebrews. So if you'll turn with me, or you can watch the screen either way. Um, Let's go to the book of Hebrews. If you go to the book of James, you've gone too far. So let's look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And look at these words. I mean, it's just... It's the substance there of of really true talent. It says in chapter 11, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand the universe and that it was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. See, the, the, sometimes I read the Bible and I feel like I should just sit down and say, Amen. I don't have to explain anything there. I can just simply read it. And it says, that's what your fathers of faith were commended for, that God made the world out of nothing when there was nothing. You couldn't see anything, and he made it, and by golly, he's the one who holds it together. The world says, seeing is believing. Faith says, believe and you'll see. And that's why it's a good report 
about God. Uh, go down and, and look at verse 6. Just go down with me. And it says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 122 bucks doesn't seem like a lot. But I was seeking hard after God. We sought hard for a grandson too. But I also understand things are greater and, and time is not in my control. And that's why it, the fruit of faith is what's going to happen that we're talking about is a promise to Abraham and Sarah, the impossible parents of Isaac. And I, that's why if you're going to talk about out of time, that couple was out of time. And so Abraham and Sarah rush to beat the clock. Okay, let's talk about them for just a moment. They are 75 years old. How many will agree? Too old. His wife is 65. Will we agree? Too old. The biological clock is no longer running. So they're at a point of impossible. I mean, you talk about time have, has run out. No little baby, no cuddling, no soft laughter, no stories to tell about your kids. And worse, stigma, she's barren. A childless woman in a culture that bore everything to bearing children. Failure is to realize your destiny. Failure is to realize your destiny. Abraham, we're old. Time has run out. And that's why we all sense that time is against us. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting awful close to looking at the time of retirement when I'm 80. <laughs> because that's all I can afford. Anybody with me? You think about insurance. Wow. And all the things that go along with it, I, you know, you go, time is slipping away. And yet, this is exactly what we face. Now, when you read Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, it's like some kind of horror story. God makes the world, what's the first thing that happens to it? Sin enters into the world. Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden of Eden and it turns into a desert. So you go, great. Well, then they have two children and they, one of them kills the other child. <laughs> Wonderful. So it gets so good, they decide to flood the entire planet. <laughs> so he floods the entire place, kills everybody, but knowing he has to have children with his children. Incest. You go, oh, this is awful. And then they got carried away, so they had to do a Tower of Babel and make everybody speak in different languages and get them out of town. That's 1 through 11. And you go, this is awful. And then we come to God deciding what he's going to do. And so it comes to this place that time 
seems so out of control, but yet God is the one that's there. I went to, I went to Africa, oh, it's been, I don't know, 15 years ago. It was at Christmas time, it was January, in fact. And in January, they still have this little paper Christmas tree and these little cheap decorations up in this, in this kind of hut with all the leaders. And I was in there go, why is the Christmas tree still up? We have not celebrated Christmas, Brother Dan. You have not celebrated, we have not celebrated Christmas. We are going to celebrate Christmas now. Well, why didn't you celebrate Christmas? This is exactly what came out of his mouth. Time was not on our side. They said they were too busy to celebrate Christmas when it was, so they waited for a month and they would celebrate it later. How many of you have been too busy to celebrate Christmas? I mean, I just thought it was just, it's Africa. They don't have watches. They don't care about it. And it's, well, it, it just was, we were just too busy. Time was not on our side. Remember, Akuna Matata. And they mean it. No worries. No worries. And so it sets in motion, Genesis 1 through 11, a campaign of trying to overcome time. So Abraham and Sarah decide they are going to come and overcome the problem of time and beat the clock. And so let's look at um, Genesis chapter 12, and let's look at verses 1 through 7, and realize that time is in his hands. Therefore, in chapter 12, and you look at chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and you're going to see why therefore, because there's such brokenness, there's such sin, there's such rebellion, there's such uh, all the stuff that goes with it. Therefore, since we are, and sorry, I'm reading out of Hebrews, let's go to Genesis, shall we? It's the first book in the Old Testament. Hi. Chapter 12. Now, as I said last service, Connie, if I run out of time, let me know. Thank you. Okay, now, the Lord said to Abram, hey, leave your country, and he would be glad to do that. Leave your people and your father's household. Now, in that day, that was impossible. You live with your family, just like today. No one ever leaves. They don't ever go anywhere. <laughs> yep. In that day, neither did they. In fact, you lived in your father's tent. They just pitched another tent. You can go to the Middle East today. You'll see, you'll see stories of unfinished buildings. And you ask, why is that unfinished? When their family gets married, they'll finish the next floor because everybody stays in the same building. They just stay together. So to leave your family was completely culturally, culturally wrong. And, and it says, now I want you to leave your father's household and I want you to go to the land I will show you. And, and you can imagine how well that would go over. Um, Dad, I'm leaving. I'm not going to live with you and mom anymore. And they go, well, where are you going? Well, who told you to go and where you go? I don't know where I'm going. And the guy who told me doesn't have a name because I don't know his name, but he spoke to me, so I'm going to go. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. Now, remember, keep it in context, 75. And I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and you're going to be a blessing, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Hey, that was good motivation. Abram left, as the Lord had told him. 
And he took Lot with him, and that wasn't a very good choice. (laughs) Abram was 75 years old. And when he set out from Haran, he took his wife Sarah, she was 65-something, and his nephew Lot, and all the possessions, pots and pans, and donkeys, and camels, and stuff. And all they'd accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Now Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram. He said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So, first thing he does is come to this place, especially sometimes that God is going to intervene when the time that you were unplanned, the time that you didn't have this thing in control. Now, Abram and Sarah, I want you to know something. Did you read anything in that context that told him you're going to have a child? No, it just says your offspring, but he doesn't compute it because in his mind, guess what? (laughs) There is no child. So however he meant offspring, whatever that's going to come about, he'll have to deal with it. So sometimes things in our lives are unplanned. And what you find here is something about God that I have learned about. Guess what? Sometimes God just does stuff. And he doesn't tell you. He just does it. It's unplanned. You didn't want it to happen. But it's, it's, it shows that the time is in his hands, and he just simply does it. And that's why sometimes people come and say, look at what you've done. I said, I didn't do any of it. I was minding my own business, and look what God did. My life was unplanned, and then he puts it into his plan. Because, see, I, my plan was I was going to be an elementary school teacher. I married Connie to be an elementary school teacher. And after we get married, the Lord says, you're going to be a pastor. So I tell her, we're going to be a pastor. She goes, oh, no bait and switch with me. <laughs> She goes, I knew we were going to be pastors. But we never talked about it because our lives were unplanned. It was, that was not my pathway. It wasn't what I picked. God picked it. That's why, remember the disciples said this? Jesus told them, you didn't choose me. How many times do you think you're the one who accepted Christ? He's the one who overwhelmed you. He's the one who chose you. He's the one who called you. He's the one that died for you. But we think we had something to do with it. Might as well just, instead of ever telling anybody, I accepted Christ, you just say, I realized that God loved me on that day. Because before we were ever born, he died for us. Hallelujah. So, and most of the time, our talent will not be enough. It's just not going to be enough. The inability to stand when life crushes into us. Things happen that aren't, that are just simply unplanned. All right. Also, sometimes it happens when you're undeserving. See, the act of God in their lives is not going to be because of Abram's ability to be a shrewd businessman. It's not going to be because of Sarai's character. Uh, It's not going to be because of reason. It's simply because God chose him. I choose you. And out of that being chosen was he was simply undeserving. 
undeserving of the choice. And also, the, the time that you were not only unplanned, but simply unprepared. And I remember going <laughs> with a youth group. I was a horrible youth pastor. I really was. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was going to be an elementary school teacher. So um, we decided that we were going to go paint a church. I'd never painted anything in my life. And we were going to go paint this church and give ourselves away to it. Brought the youth group with me. They didn't know what they were doing either. Now, I did two things. I didn't bring enough paint. I didn't bring enough food. Okay? Neither one. In my unpreparedness, I exercised faith. True story. I said, give me a hose. And I filled those buckets with water and stirred that paint around. So help me. We painted that church with water-based paint. <laughs> True story. We took food. I told the lady cooking the food. I said, that's all we have. So I said, just pray over it. Prayed over it. It was always enough. I mean, I look back in our lives. When those things happened, I was so unprepared. First time I went to Africa, Connie, that was when they had Morse code. And... Uh, there were no cell phones when the first, there was nothing. And I went and I had $100. God would, and I really did believe that God would provide, and he did. That whole, I was gone months, months. God provided every penny, every dime that was needed. As I do say, and I tell the story often, I don't travel that way. See, that was when I was a, a faith-based person. Now I travel with Jehovah Visa. Don't leave home without it. Because <laughs> I now know I can get home anywhere. I, you know. But when you don't have that, you have to trust God, don't you? And when you're unprepared, and I was unprepared, I had to believe that God would meet that need, and he did. But out of that unpreparedness, now think, think, Abram's 75 and God will wait 24 years, then fulfill the promise. He wanted to make sure that, oh, Abram didn't think it was his doing. He was going to really make sure. But sometimes faith is that journey. Isn't faith the journey? It's, it's what life is. It's waiting and seeking and knocking and praying and crying. Abram, get up. Go to where I'll tell you. Don't forget Romans 8.22. We groan as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. What does Abram do? He builds altars. He pitches tents. And God keeps telling him, your time is not out yet, bud. Trust me. Trust me. Now, here's what happens when you should leave time alone. But ability is still there. And so remember the old saying, God helps those that helps themselves. Um, no, that's not scriptural. But it is an old saying. Look at chapter 15. Now, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, thank God, and your very great reward. Hallelujah. But Abram says, uh, oh, sovereign, what can you give me? 
I'm childless. And the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. How would you like to have been Eliezer of Damascus? I guess Abram did not care for him very much. That'd be like your second uncle Ted. He is not going to get your inheritance. And so he's going, that's all I got. And he says, um, you have given me no children. I'm, in other words, he's reminding God, uh, thank you, no children. And so a servant of my household will be my heir. Now, the word of the Lord came to him, to this man. This man will not be your heir. A son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and they said, Now look at the heavens, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Okay, you see, this has been 20-something years, and God finally is being very clear with him. I'm going to give you an offspring. And he, not at 75, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to wait till the clock is completely. Yeah. Not just him, his wife. And he goes, you're going to have to trust me because your ability is not going to get you here. And so that's why sometimes that when you're undeserving of something and you think, well, God is going to intervene and I'm, and, and I'm, going, to, I'm going to help God in his intervention. And God says, listen, I'm going, to give, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And you're going to do this. And I remember I, I took my daughter, Danielle, when she was like three and a half, four years old. And we went to Disneyland. And I took my daughter on a ride that I knew would be easy to do, Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, as an adult, you think, innocent. Well, the moment we got in there, and it's pitch black, and there's a creepy man on a rocker, she was done. She's screaming bloody murder. And then, of course, we get to the front, dead men tell no Tales. Well, by that time, counseling is certainly in her future. <laughs> she hated loud noises. It's going bad. And so I held her very, very close. And I whispered to her, don't be scared. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I, I, I talked to her and, and just kept whispering, it's okay. I won't do it again. I will not do this to you again. And she stayed so close to me, and she listened. And I will tell you, that ride is what? Four minutes, five minutes. For her, time stood still. Because all she heard was me holding her saying, your dad is sorry that you know, he put you through that. And at the end, you know, it, just, it was something that it came to that point. And I'm going to tell you, when we go through those times that we are so afraid that we don't know what else to do, it's God himself who holds us. He says, just trust me. Just listen to my voice. When you've got nothing else, you just go, I'm so scared. And that's when he'll just hold you and say, it's okay. You'll get through it. I'll be right there. 
Don't be afraid. It's, it's all right. And that's why um, oh, we wanted, we should trust God in those times. But then we get into this. Look at chapter 16. Now Sarah, Sarai, Abram's wife had borne him no children. She's a loser. <laughs> I'm telling you, in that day, barrenness was the greatest stigma anybody could have. The only thing that women had was bearing children. And the stigma of having no kids was like you were just nothing. No children. But she has a great idea. She goes, I've got a maidservant. Not trying to be crude, but she's fertile. And the Lord kept, um, you know, it says from her having children. And he says, why don't you sleep with my maidservant? Because I can build a family through her. So goes her husband says, hey, I got this really young maidservant. Would you mind? Well, Abram goes, no. <laughs> Fine. You know, at least have some character. You know, no. No, I'm trusting God. He says, sure. And of course, instantly, she's pregnant. And of course, then Hagar and Sarai become, couldn't even stand each other. And she leaves and has a son named Ishmael. And the Lord says, I'm going to bless your son because of what you've walked through. And your son will be at, at odds with the offspring of Abram that he didn't believe he was going to have. But you see, when you try to help God when time is not on your side, be careful. Sometimes you need to wait for God's fullness of time. It's just how many people probably have married people that they didn't think there was anybody else going to come along? Oh, heavens. You said, I should have waited. Yeah. And that's why um, helping God before time runs out and listening Finally, right this time. Let's look at chapter 17. Now, when Abram was what, folks? 99. The Lord appeared to him. Hey, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and for crying out loud, be blameless. Don't try to take time in your hands. I'm going to confirm my covenant. And I'm going to greatly increase your numbers. And he fell face down. And he says, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. You're not going to be called Abram anymore. I'm going to change your name to Abraham, meaning father of many, father of abundance. And it says that, um, come on. Let's trust him. And that's why there's always a counterfeit faith. There's always something that comes that you write out your own plan. You take over. You are the one who tries to be in control. And um, how many times I've said, I wish I had more time. I wish I could have done this. Listening right is so important. And that's why the word El Shaddai, by the way, that when God refers to himself to Abram 
is means sufficient almighty. The sufficient one. He is sufficient to what we cannot do on our own ability. So, let's go on. So we'll end with this, that God is never out of time. Say that with me. Never out of time. When you think God has run out of time, He's the one who controls it. So um, it's beyond my ability, but I can trust Him. So let's look at chapter 21, the old-fashioned way, folks, to have a baby. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what He said He would do, what He promised. Sarah became pregnant, and she laughed when they said, you're going to have a baby. So they called him Isaac, laughter. And it says that in his old age, what God had promised him, she bore him a son, and Abram gave him the name laughter, Isaac, to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, they circumcised him as God commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old (laughs) when his son Isaac was born to him. See, God does stuff that you can't take credit for. He just simply does. Said, I'm going to make it so ridiculous. Come on, remember the guy's name is Gideon? And Gideon says, you got to take the Midianites. You can't even count the Midianites. And so... 30,000 guys come to help fight, but they're kind of scared. And God says, well, they're scared, let them go. And he gets 400 left. And God says, not too many. So he winds up like with 10 or whatever it was, some ridiculous thing. And God said, the reason I'm going to do that is because you're not ever going to get credit for this. Ever. It'll be me. So be it. Two things. Realize that beyond our talent, this is where God shows up. When it's beyond our talent, it's where God shows up. Look at these guys. It says, what more shall we say? I don't have time to tell you about O'Gideon or maybe Barak. How about Samson? That's a story. Jephthah, the, deliver, the, the guy who sacrifices his daughter. How about David, Samuel, the prophets? who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness, whose what? It doesn't say whose abilities were marvelous, whose weaknesses were turned to strength. When it goes beyond your ability, that's when God comes and delivers, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Come on. It means that that's when God is greater than we could ever imagine. And it's always beyond our talent. And secondly, you have to believe that God is able to do what he promises. And that's why Ephesians ends it simply with this. More than you could ask or think, more than you can conceive of, is the love of God, which is absolutely true. I want to end with an old hymn, just the, the la- one of the verses of it. It says... When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, yet the day is half done, to added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. 
His power has no boundaries known unto men. But out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth, and he giveth, and he giveth again. Lord, thank you for your promise. Thank you, Lord, that when we are beyond our talent and beyond our wisdom and beyond our abilities, you come. You're always there. And you'll take what we offer you and you use it. So we never have to be ashamed of what we offer you. As little as it may be, it's always going to be beyond what we can do. That's why we put faith in you. Lord, this congregation sitting in this wonderful facility have no idea how this was beyond their ability. Impossible odds. And yet here they are. Lord, this whole church has to do with beyond talent. I ask, Lord, that if there happens to be anyone that might be here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that they will recognize before they leave this place how much they need him. All you have to do is ask him to come into your life, but be ready for change because that's what he does. He takes what our lives are and turns them completely around. And Lord, for all who have lost loved ones or dealing with sorrow, when you're scared, let him hold you and just whisper to you, it's just a ride. It's just a ride. And Lord, we all are going to end this ride someday and you're going to be right there welcoming us into your kingdom. And I'm so appreciative of this church, of their, be with Pastor John, his wife, family, just strengthen them today. Lord, be with the Haiti team and give them grace. For John, Lord, didn't touch his hand and arm. And let just let it be whole. And Lord, I know that you will meet every need according to your riches in Christ Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Everybody said, amen. 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 Will okay. you guys thank Love Pastor you guys. Dan with me?